Welcome to Adulting on the Spectrum. In this podcast, we want to highlight the real voices of autistic adults, not just inspirational stories, but people like us talking about their day-to-day life. Basically, we want to give a voice to a variety of autistic people. I'm Eileen Lam, an autistic author and photographer, and I co-host this podcast with Andrew Camro. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Eileen. I'm Andrew Camro. I'm the founder of the Neurodiversity Index. Today, our guest is Scott Steindorf. Scott Steindorf is an international television and film producer and writer who specializes in adapting literary bestsellers into premium movies and television. His most recent project that he executive produced is Station Eleven, a book-to-screen adaptation which was released on HBO Max on December 16th with an outpouring of overwhelmingly positive reviews and accolades. Scott is also an ARC board member and neurodiversity advocate who regularly speaks with high schools and colleges across the country on the importance of emotions and feelings, as well as facing substance abuse. We like to start off every episode with asking about identity language, and we don't mean pronouns, although you feel free to share that too. We mean, do you have a preference, a uh, person with autism, autistic person on the spectrum? Um, or no I'm, preference. I'm autistic and proud of it. Speaking of, when were you diagnosed with autism and what was the process like? And, you know, what made you seek a diagnosis? Uh, you seem to be uh, successful in, in life. Was it, was there an event, something that uh, made you seek a diagnosis? Can you tell us about that? Well, I'm in my early 60s, and so I'm part of the lost generation where there wasn't a lot of autism diagnosis for children. And I grew up in a small town in Minnesota. And at the age of 10, the teacher took me out of class and said, you can't make eye contact, you stare into space, you seem to have difficulty focusing and we think you're taking drugs. So my first diagnosis was that I was probably sniffing glue. And then they took me to the principal and my parents had to come in. And so that was my first unofficial diagnosis. In my early 20s, I was diagnosed with ADD and I was in denial of it. I did not want to accept that I had ADD. And, and then in my, you know, I, I knew I had something associated with spectrum. Um, but again, you know, I'm older, so there wasn't a lot of information everywhere about it. And so I, my, my youngest daughter who was diagnosed with ADHD had been reading about autism and said, dad, you're autistic and you need to look at it and so i got diagnosed you know many years ago and got the official diagnosis and changed my life how do you think it changed your life what what did change getting a diagnosis so late in life and eileen and myself we were both diagnosed late in life as well although i neither of us are in our 60s quite yet well, I think the 
you know, in my early 20s, I had a substance abuse problem. And, and so I got involved in recovery, and I've been sober my whole adult life. And, and, and I think it was very much like that, in the sense that you get diagnosed, and then you start looking at your symptoms and your behaviors. And for me to look at a whole life, raising three kids, having a business, all the difficulties I had. So it became a, for the first time, self-awareness, maybe, you know, being aware of why I did certain things. There was a lot of, you know, when I first got diagnosed, I was shocked. I was upset. Um, but I knew I had it and I knew I, it had been a difficulty in my life since early childhood. That's exactly how I felt about my diagnosis. I struggled my entire childhood and adult yeah. life, not fitting in. And I always felt something was wrong with me. Like it was my fault. And then when I was diagnosed, uh, it was like a relief in a way. I was like, Oh, that's why I did that. That's why I can do these things that everybody is doing. And it seems so normal and easy for them. And so I totally relate to that relief, like the answer. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, it was, you know, I was socially awkward in a social business where I didn't want to socialize. I couldn't make eye contact. I couldn't, you know, I have a lot of stemming. I have a lot of special interests and I didn't understand why people didn't love my special interests. And I loved to read, you know, reading was my, was my escape since I was a child and it ended up becoming my career. And, and so I look at the positive aspects also. So, you know, knowing that you're, in the business like what do you think of hollywood's representation of autism because i feel like we're starting to see it more and more like do you think it's accurate no i don't i don't like what's i i think we're just at the beginning of understanding autism and so i think there's so much misinformation i i don't like sensationalizing me and you and all of us on this call is that, you know, it, we, we have to understand it. We have to understand what it is and what it isn't. And I don't think Hollywood ever got it right. Do you have a, a, a favorite or maybe a, you know, a not the worst uh, representation of autism in the media? Um, or, or a couple of them. I mean, I've, I don't watch for somebody in the business. I don't watch a lot of it because it's uncomfortable for me. Um, I think Rain Man was a little, I mean, I loved Rain Man. <laughs> you know, I saw it when I was young and I, I loved the movie. I don't know if it's an accurate portrayal of autism I don't like those reality shows that portray dating because I don't want to sensationalize because I know how difficult it is so you know dating and 
relationships are difficult for us. So I don't think we should watch, you know, that in a sensationalized way. Part of when we started this podcast and part of the announcement was we said we didn't want to be inspiration porn. That that wasn't the point. We wanted real people, real stories. Um, so what about representations of autism where I think the term would be where, where, where somebody's canon, where, where they don't say it? Um, I'm seeing that a bit more and, and so, like... Um, you know, I think one of my favorite over the past couple of years was The Outsider. Uh, if you've seen where, where I can't remember her name, but you know the character I'm talking about. Yes. They never say that she is. Right. But it's so clear that she is. Yes. And, and I really like when they do it that way, like the bridge, uh, you know, the FX version, they never say it, uh, the overseas version. Right. Um, what would be your least and, and by the way eileen's never even seen star wars i make fun of her so she's never seen like anything so she doesn't know what we're talking about <laughs> um but uh what about your least favorite um i don't know if i have a least favorite or a favorite if you ask me what's my favorite movie or my least favorite i i I just don't look at things that way because I'm autistic. So it's not something that I... Or some that you liked or some that you didn't like. Oh, you said you didn't like like the dating reality shows. Well, I so love that. I, what I really liked was the little boy. I, I can't remember the name of the show, if you tell me, with his sister and family. Atypical. Uh, yes. Aaron? I yeah. I like that show. Aspects of that show. I really do. And his relationship with his sister and and parents, I, I, I thought they did a good job there. And I know the writer has an autistic child, so she understands, you know. That's, yeah. I, I love that show. And uh, Parenthood, I think he's one. you. Parenthood is great. Yeah. And so I think if you, it's like, it's like everything, right? If if people involved are autistic or know about autism, they're going to have an honest portrayal. So it, it's like everybody talks about, you know, race and religion and all these, but neurodiversity needs a seat at the table. And they haven't had one in Hollywood. And And I really think it's important that we spread the word so people that have are on the spectrum can be heard, seen, and felt. So here is my uh, my problem with uh, uh, Hollywood, I guess. You know, I, I have autism. I'm on the spectrum. I'm autistic. However, like I don't mind about terminology. My my oldest son is ten years old and uh, he's level three, which you know. High support needs, nonverbal, you know, self-harming behavior. It's like it almost feels like a different diagnosis in in a lot of ways. And I feel like uh, most of the representation in Hollywood movies and is uh, more like people like us. And you know, it's such a broad spectrum. It's hard for everyone to feel represented, right? 
So I, I wrote a book that was published uh, called All Across the Spectrum. And uh, I talk about my experience being diagnosed at 25 and, you know, raising a child with uh, nonverbal uh, higher support needs. And uh, I, uh, I, my dream is to get it on the, sc on the screen so I can tell both perspective in one, in one place. Um, and, you know, I took a try, took some screenwriting uh, classes and lessons and it was like it's so difficult do you have any tips uh, for someone who has a dream like mine yeah keep going <laughs> <laughs> don't give up persist I mean the one that you know as as you guys are both autistic and you are involved in the autism world is many of us have been bullied Many of us were, I, I had a very difficult childhood. I stuttered. I couldn't make eye contact. I, I was bullied, called names, and it was so difficult for me. I've also raised, you know, kids with autism that had difficulty. So I, I think you guys are aware. I just did a documentary called Understanding Autism which I traveled all over the world, literally, for five months. I interviewed 140 doctors, psychiatrists, families, people that have a lot of needs and some that are higher functioning. So like your book, I tried to balance it, you know, that there are, you know, I have many non-speaking autistic people in the movie and... And I'm very proud of the movie and hopefully it'll come out in the fall. I'm still editing. But what I discovered in this process is we're just at the beginning and we're just learning so much about it and we need more funding and we need more help and support for your child and, and we need to we need to have more empathy. We need to have more understanding of, of the parents. I, I, I always say the hardest part about autism is being a parent of autistic children. Yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with the online world of autism, but, you know, um, outside of my work as an author and at Autism Speaks, uh, my day job, I'm also, you know, I blog i guess is what you would call it i have a large uh platform and a big issue i'm facing is that uh there's a lot of bullying uh, especially with parents and i i get it hard i think because my platform is big and uh i i really wish you know it's not incompatible to support the autistic person and the parents and i think it comes with the diagnosis, you know, it's hard to see the gray areas and some people are really only for the autistic person. But like right. as someone who sees both sides of it, it's, we need it all, you know, it's the community as a whole and it's right. hard. And the community needs to come together and understand we all have suffered and struggled and we all want what's best for our children and families. And the family is really, really important. And so, you know, I had, my children are on the spectrum. 
my siblings were autistic. So obviously in, you know, my research and my point of view is that obviously it's genetic, just like heart disease and many other things. And, and it doesn't really matter how we have it, we have it. So how can we create better support, better understanding of each other and, and what we're going through, whether they're non-speaking or high functioning, you know, as my, my daughter was just visiting from Austin and I was saying how lucky I am that I'm higher functioning and I found a place in my life. And she looked at me and she said, dad, you're not high functioning, <laughs> you know? And, and the truth is I, I do struggle with things. I struggle with motor skills. I couldn't change a tire. I, I have difficulty putting things together. I, I have lots of things and challenges that got me to where I am to overcome those. And that's why I say to you, the, the gift that I got with my autism is I don't look at outcomes like other neurotypical people. I just do it. And it's allowed me to create a pathway of success for me to function. Can you tell us a bit about uh, your neurodiversity advocacy work? I saw that you do uh, a lot of that too. Well, when I'm not filming, I work with kids and I, you know, one-on-one -on -one because I look at it, you know, like somebody that has a substance abuse problem, you know, an alcoholic or a drug addict is that they can help another drug addict or somebody overcome drinking, right? I have autism. So I've worked with teenagers and, and, and kids and, and they'll listen to me because I'm not a parent of theirs or a teacher of theirs or a psychiatrist. I have it. So I feel them. I understand them. So I think that's important for all of us on the spectrum to help others on the spectrum because we can relate to them you know, little things that I've learned along the way to help them overcome. And I think the biggest, the biggest lesson I can give is, you know, if you find something, believe in it and keep going for it. Don't give up. You know, I didn't give up. The odds were so against me to make it in this business. Okay. And have and, you had others come to you and, and open up and maybe share their experience? I'm sure there's plenty that you can't share, but maybe I'm wrong in, in any names that you can. What do, what do you mean? Just like have, because of your, one thing that I've experienced, for example, opening up in the financial community, I had a lot of people approach me saying, um, you know, they were autistic too, or, or family or, uh, friends. So I find, um, so I'm curious if you had that same experience when you opened up publicly. Well, 
I would, you know, several years ago, they wrote a, an article about me in the Hollywood Reporter, which is our trade publication. And, and I talked about being autistic and my struggles and, you know, information about my own autism. And I've never, ever been written about where I had so many phone calls. And most of those phone calls were from people in the Hollywood community talking about their children, their brother. Can you help us? We don't know where to go. We don't, we're, we're, we're having difficulties with school or, and, and it really opened up a lot of doors for me and them to communicate about autism. There was also a lot of shame and stigma. There was people that called me and said, here you are, whoever I am as a producer and writer, and you're successful, why would you do that? And the reason why I'm doing it is like very clear. I want to help other people. I want to help people not struggle and suffer with the same things, whether they're a child, a teenager, a young adult, or trying to create a career. And, and we need to guide and there, there's not su enough support groups. There's not enough financial support for your child that is not speaking devices and, you know, so many kids that can't get out of a bed or, or go outside. You have to watch. I mean, it's the hardest thing ever. And, and that's what needs to be portrayed in Hollywood show the real struggle because that's real. And, and that needs, those stories need to be told. Do you think with your documentary, you're going to be able to show uh, that side too? I mean, just like you said, like, for instance, my son doesn't understand that putting things in his mouth, like he just puts everything in his mouth and, you know, like litter, like rocks. Uh, if he sees a car, he's going to run in front of it. No sense of danger. You know, it's, yeah. it's really hard. And I feel like we don't see that at all, at all in movies. I promise you, I, I, I showed that. Oh, that's, that's great. It's really important to me. You know, I have several um, non-speaking people that can't, that need help that are in the documentary. And then I have the superstar Elizabeth Bonkers. I don't know if you're aware of her that, you know, ended up going and being valedictorian at um, a, a university in Florida. And oh. I mean, her story is remarkable. Is she the one who did the speech with her AAC device? Yes. Yeah. It's the most, by the way, talk about that video is the most watched video of any video in the history of the world. 4.5 billion views. Jeez, that's crazy. And and so we need to tell those stories. And she's in my movie. Or a young boy that is autistic that started playing golf. And he's, I think he's 11 years old. He's Sports Illustrated Junior Champion and found his way. We can, you, you know, and 
it takes parents, right? It takes parents to believe that this is possible. It takes community to believe this is possible. We need to inform schools. We need to inform therapists, psychiatrists, doctors. So we're, we haven't scratched the surface with this. Well, how about, uh, you know, people for whom it's not possible because a lot of, you know, people on the on the spectrum who are higher needs are never going to be able to, you know, uh, be, be successful like that. They're going to end up in like homes and, you know, not everyone can be a, a, a successful and meaningful story like that. Some are going to need help 24-7 for the rest of their life. But you know what the people, and I talk about it, is the people that do need help their whole life, that need the support their whole life. The parents need help and support. The brothers, the siblings and sisters, they need help. And there's something very special in a lot of those cases that I filmed, and I call it autistic love. And there's something so beautiful and I discovered that with so many families. It's it's true, you know, like I, I see my two boys, uh, you know, and one of them is, you know, more like us and uh, the way they interact with each other. I mean, it's different, obviously, because my oldest son, he just, he doesn't really understand much, if I'm being honest, you know, and uh, it's still beautiful to see them interact in their own ways and, uh, you know, the way his little brother just loves yeah. him even though he can't play and you know it it hurts him that he can't play with his brother like you know his friends at school and all of that but he still finds ways to you know be with charlie is his name um i wanted to ask you about something you said in a in an article i think it was on health i forget but you said that uh uh, about ABA, if you know uh, you're a duck, you're a duck, you're not going to turn me into a goose. And I think that's a misconception about ABA is that it's trying to make the autistic person into a non-autistic person. Because from my experience, I mean, Charlie, my son has been in ABA therapy for eight years now, and they've never tried to turn him into someone who is not, you know, like they taught him, you know, some self-care, like brushing his teeth. They taught him how to use an AAC device. They don't prevent him from steaming or they don't force eye contact. You know, I think ABS come a long way. And uh, one thing I do or I try to do with my platform is to really show that uh, compassionate ABA, uh, play-based ABA is really out there. And it, it's they're just really trying to teach skills. And, and I think it's a beautiful thing, a lot of ABA therapists, because they really care and they want to help and if they're doing it with compassion empathy and love all for it all for it and but i also think that non-speaking autistic people should get devices and be allowed to communicate and be allowed to you know excel in their own way so look, AA is 80 years old. It needs to be updated. ABA, I think, also needs to be updated. Teaching universities and, 
and doctors and psychiatrists and therapists needs to be updated. We're just, we're just at the ground floor. So if whatever works, great. That's, that's good. Yeah. So right. What, uh, I have one last question before Eileen takes it uh, to the end. So you said, um, so you you have mentioned your struggle with, um, again, substances, and you just mentioned how AA needs to be updated. In what way would you update um, AA, and what advice would you give to other autistics who also struggle with substances? Well, it, I also deal with that in my documentary, is that a lot of people with substance abuse problems, including myself, did it because we had underlying causes and conditions that needed to be dealt with. And I think what's really been the most important thing in me trying to, you know, figure myself out is understanding emotions and feelings, how to identify my feelings, how to understand my feelings, how to process my feelings, and how to express them. Because emotional regulation is a problem for all of us with autism. And I think it needs to be taught. I think it needs to be involved with the parents, with the children, with the schools, with the therapies, and really stressing why is somebody having a meltdown? What is going on inside that little boy to cause him to have a meltdown? Is it sensory overload? Is he feeling overwhelmed? Is he scared? So it's understanding the feelings. And for about 10 years, I've been studying this, and it's really, by the way, I still have meltdowns. <laughs> you know, I still struggle, but I understand why I have a meltdown. And, and I try to express my feelings, you know, differently or pause, you know, when I'm having anger and intensity, because I've had that since I was born and nobody taught me anything. They taught me not to feel, don't feel, don't get mad, don't get angry, don't get sad. And they're still teaching it. You can't do that with autistic people. And we need to do it with empathy and love. That's a beautiful answer. Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm going to ask you some, uh, some quick fire questions to end this. It's just some quick fire questions. You just tell me the first thing that comes, uh, that comes to mind. Okay. Do you have a favorite quote? And if so, what is it? Never give up. Favorite movie, autism or not? Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Favorite director? Oh, boy. Um, Martin Scorsese. What's your favorite food, comfort food? Sushi. And is glow-in-the-dark a color? Green. So it, it is a color, you think? Yes. 
<laughs> for sure i think it's a property i can okay I mean, yeah we ask everyone we're just trying to figure it out i think i'm winning the argument eileen <laughs> <laughs> oh well um do you want to tell uh, people where they can find you online and your work and all of that well you can add me on instagram scott steindorf um or Facebook or in or LinkedIn and I'm everywhere and I'm pretty easy to find. And I I love autistic people. And this has been a really wonderful interview. I, I feel very moved by both of you. So you've inspired me. Oh, well, thank you. I'm I'm so glad you came. Yeah, thank you. Glad you came. Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you.